Hi, this is Anishka Fernandopoli. I hope this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button under my picture on dharmaseed.org or go to my website, anushkaf.org, A-N-U-S-H-K-A-F.org, and click on donate. Thanks. I appreciate your support. So we've been doing the Eightfold Path, and uh, this week we're doing the link that's about concentration or collectiveness of mind and heart. So this is a review, uh, both for those of you who have been here or those of you who have missed the previous um, chapters. The Eightfold Path uh, is the articulation of the Buddha's teachings uh, towards happiness, towards freedom, towards liberation. And the links are not necessarily like check step one and then move on to step two, but they're all continuing to develop uh, each one and they connect to each other too. So we talked about the one that's around uh, view and each of them has a, a word, there's a word and then there's kind of preceding it oftentimes a word that is sometimes translated as like right, like a right view. Um, but sometimes it gives too much of a sense of like right versus wrong, which for some of them uh, is actually more accurate, but some of the, for some of the links that kind of give them this meaning sense about it. So one of the translations that I like also is about um, complete, complete or perfect. So then it's sort of a process of continuing to develop in each of these as we go through our life in that practice. So the first one is around view, and I think actually for view, right view does make sense. Uh, and we talked about cause and effect, so that's karma. And we talked about the Four Noble Truths. <coughs> then we talked about, uh, for this one it could be more wise or uh, perfected, uh, about intentions, so cultivating intentions of your mind and heart uh, that are wise. So this is in particular about developing intentions of loving kindness, developing intentions of generosity, renunciation, and developing intentions of compassion. And we talked about wise effort, which is a way of doing that through knowing what's arising in your mind and heart, and knowing if it's actually skillful, so along these lines, or if it's unskillful, unhelpful. And then trying to understand the conditions that help for the skillful states to arise, and trying to cultivate that more in your life. And trying to understand the conditions for the unskillful, unhelpful things to arise, and trying to avoid those conditions. And we talked about the ones that are around uh, direct being in the world, so about wise speech, about wise action, particularly following the training precepts of avoiding killing or destroying living beings, avoid taking what's not offered, avoid harming yourself and others using your sexuality, sexual activity. And then we talked about uh, livelihood, actually, in our last week, about how you make your living, so what you do in your life, what's the center of your life, what's your main activity, and how does that tie into the past, too. So now we get to the stuff that's more about meditation. So the last two that we haven't done is around concentration and mindfulness. So we'll do concentration uh, today, and we'll talk about mindfulness uh, next week. And for many people, this is kind of the main attraction of um, the Buddhist teachings often. And both of them together are part of what is unique, I think, in the uh, offerings of the Buddha. So concentration and mindfulness often go together, and I'll talk about them a little bit together, but also I think it's helpful to consider them uh, separately, so to be able to identify them 
has different factors of mind and different uh, aspects of the past too. So all of you have concentration in some way or another. So everyone has concentration. So concentration is the ability to focus. So the ability to bring together your attention and focus to some extent. So the fact that everybody has landed on a chair or on the floor, you know, without falling off you, then you have enough concentration to do that. Uh, even if you do something mundane, like you take a fork and you pull a piece of broccoli and eat it, that, that requires some concentration. Like if you're really drunk, you probably shouldn't do that. Uh, so everyone has concentration, everyone has concentration on different things. And in fact, for many of the activities I think that uh, you might call dear, like the, the, your favorite activities in life, there probably is some element of concentration in that. There probably is some element in that activity where it allows you to actually collect the energy of your mind and heart and be somewhat unified in that activity. So think about it, consider what, what that might be for you. So for some people it's about uh, like doing a sport. For some people some kind of sport is that for them. And people who like to run, you know, so one of the things people who are runners like to say sometimes is like, oh yeah, I really get in the zone with that and just like completely there and focused and you know, I'm not as distracted as I usually am. But for some people it's like painting or drawing or playing music is something in which they can really just completely unify with that activity. Sometimes it's described also as like the sense of self disappears, there's just oneness in that activity. Or for some people it might be uh, something else that's less glamorous, like maybe uh, you're a computer program and actually in programming you become completely one with that. Or uh, swimming, or, maybe <coughs> that, or uh, cooking, or anything like that. So I think that there is something about the activities that we love that bring in this sense of collectedness. And usually, as human beings, we actually have a lot of power at our disposal. So physical energy, mental energy, and we don't actually know how to collect it that well. So usually it's pretty well dispersed, you know. Uh, usually we're kind of more in a state of distractedness than of collectedness. And then for different people, that particular activity that you love is a place in which you can kind of collect yourself. And that brings a lot of rest. It brings you happiness, it brings you a sense of meditation, it brings you a sense of peace oftentimes. But then the rest of the time it's hard to like, replicate that. So it seems to be just when you're running, just when you're thinking, just when you're coding, but it's not like all the time. So part of the, the practice of <coughs> this path is to understand like, what are these qualities of mind and how can they actually be cultivated? How can they bring that into my life? Such that whatever is that activity that you enjoy so much in which you feel completely unwind, completely unified, completely non-destructive, you can actually learn to bring that same quality into all of your life. So this is actually completely possible. And uh, you could say that perhaps someone who is completely free is able to do that, completely enlightened, is able to be completely present and completely non-destructive, able to be unified in the moment with what's happening, whether it's something glamorous, whether it's a high, whether it's a low, like whether it's uh, eating a fabulous meal or whether it's kind of something more mundane. That ability to actually collect our So the, in the meditation where I was giving you these different um, little, uh, techniques and tips and things like that, they're all kind of oriented towards helping to collect the mind, collect the attention. So we use the breath, so I was using the breath as an object from which to do that, but you can actually use many different objects to do that. The breath is a convenient one because you're always breathing, so it's always there to attend to. 
hopefully. Uh, and uh, and it's, it's actually a relatively uh, soothing one. So just as an aside, sometimes some people say like, well, can I use my heartbeat or something as a meditation object? And it usually is not recommended that you use your heartbeat as a meditation object for a couple of reasons. So one is that um, the heartbeat tends to be more guided, like boom, 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 okay. Uh, so it doesn't tend more towards relaxation. It's kind of more what you get in like a horror movie, like. <laughs> 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 so it's not sort of. <laughs> <laughs> also, actually, when you meditate, sometimes they do affect that dimension that you're paying attention to. So with the breath, sometimes you might notice like your breath starts to slow down, even if you're not trying to on purpose. Um, it starts to slow down. It starts to change, right? and that's okay. But the heart, you don't want to mess with that. Really. So do your heart alone. Let it stick on, you know, in that way. Now, many different spiritual traditions or religions have some uh, type of concentration practice involved. So many people are probably brought up in some different um, religion. You can think back, like, okay, so like chanting is one way of collecting the energy in the mind. Right? Or uh, for those of you who are Catholic, saying you know, the rosary. With the beads, you know, sort of like you're supposed to be paying attention to that prayer, right? When your mind uh, runs off, then you try to come back again to whatever the Hail Mary or that Father, or every different tradition has something like this, um, whether it's a short prayer or a long prayer or something like that. It's a way of collecting your mind and heart on something. Usually, it has some kind of like an imagery of that particular religious system, a sound sometimes. So these are all good ways to collect your mind and heart. Now in the, this past, one of the applications of that concentration has been uh, with mindfulness, which is some of the uniqueness of the meditation practice. So here with the breath, we're actually trying to be present, we're actually trying to be aware of, present with the sensations of the breath. So what does it actually feel like in my body? So knowing that the rest of the experience. And then it actually becomes sort of more applicable to the rest of your life too. So even in the Buddhist practice, there are some objects that are kind of objects that you can only use when you're doing the meditation. So if you have a mantra or if you use an image or something like that, then during the time you're doing the meditation, you can develop a sense of collectiveness of the mind, of calmness. And then you can get some peace from that. But then what happens when you have to go and take out the garbage? Is it when you are going to work? But you can't keep that image in mind all the time, or you can't keep that word going all the time. You can try sometimes, but you don't have the same degree of collectiveness with that because you're then saying your mantra and taking out the garbage. So, uh, with the application of mindfulness, it actually is, uh, helps us to direct that concentration and that sense of attention to the present moment, to whatever it is that's happening now. So then it actually does allow all of your life to become your practice. So all of the other ways of developing concentration are good. You know, playing sports, falling the ball, anything like that. Um, good. And in fact, you can see different applications, um, humans and also even animals. So, uh, you know, if you take any like average dog and you hold the dog biscuit up to it, right? Like it's attending to that. Right? Like it gets pretty one-pointed pretty fast. And then you move it over here and it'll right? it's like all the rest of the world has disappeared into that. They're completely focused on the dog. Uh, so, you know, there's something admirable about that quality, <laughs> collectively. Um, it also is not, though, in, the, in this case, in the April past, that's uh, called, like, this, you know, 
the preface word I'm saying, which is wise or skillful or right or something like that. So in this case, the uh, constitution of the dog would not necessarily be considered that. <laughs> that we still need full task, although it is concentration. Um, because this is a concentration that is, of course, um, informed by uh, wholesome, wholesomeness, like wholesome ethical conduct, so it's a positive orientation, and also it's aiming towards wisdom. So even among humans, um, it takes concentration to do anything. So if you try to break into uh, someone's house, if someone tries to break into someone's house, it takes concentration. Right, they're like sneaking around, or you know, try to like take the lock, do it quietly. Right, so it takes a certain concentration. You could even say it takes a certain like mindfulness, but this is not like right mindfulness, wise mindfulness, skillful mindfulness. Right. So this is like uh, not that which we are talking about here. So how do you develop this kind of concentration, and why would you want to do that? Um, so one is that it actually brings a lot of happiness and peace. Uh, to our body-mind system. Like, we're usually very distracted, and when we start to collect the energy of our mind and body together, our mind becomes happier, our body becomes happier, like our whole system actually starts to become more aligned. And if you remember in the beginning uh, of this series, I was talking about the Dharma, and what does that mean, and what is it about? Uh, One of the translations of that is the truth of the way things are, and that actually we are becoming more and more aligned with the truth of the way things are. So part of that takes this concentration, it takes a collectiveness. It takes a collectiveness to be able to be present and to be able to see that, to know what that is. And you might have experienced this in small doses or maybe in larger doses um, as you go along in your meditation practice. Like how many people have a sense of what I'm talking about with that then that comes? Yeah. Um, if you don't raise your hand, don't worry. But this is something that actually is it's good, it's positive, and it's kind of onward leading for us. So even though the purpose of this kind of meditation is not actually um, purely and only to create a happy state during the meditation, uh, because actually we're trying to be able to be present with everything, both difficult things and pleasant things. Um, but it's good that, you know, as I saying in the, the meditation, like try to enjoy it, like actually try to enjoy the experience of practice, of being with your breath. Yeah. Uh, so sometimes you think of the get the sense of, like, oh, I just grin, like now I am meditating, I'm doing a hard thing, and working hard, you know, so you start to like bear down. Uh, so if you notice yourself doing that, just try to relax. Try to relax and just very gently be present. Because the truth is you're just sitting there doing nothing. Right? <laughs> uh, and you know, we call it meditation and it's a kind of a thing, but sometimes like making it into a thing makes it too hard. Um, so we're just actually doing nothing and just trying to be present and notice what happens in that. But also it's helpful to know that thing about the relaxing and about the happiness that comes because uh, if you've been trying to do the practice for a little bit of time, even just during this one period, you know what I'm saying, okay, try to pay attention to the breath, and then the mind drifts off and then come back. So there can easily be this tendency when your mind drifts off, like, oh, you know, like whack it back into line, right? And then to get mad at your mind for keeping on getting distracted, get tighter and tighter, you know, flagellate yourself and everything. And then you get more and more crunched up, and you can feel the tension here as you try to, like, uh, And actually, this is not a condition for uh, concentration for us. So we talk about everything comes together from different uh, causes and conditions. So the preconditions for the mind to be concentrated is actually uh, happiness, relaxment, contentment. It's not actually striving. Striving is the opposite of concentration. 
So then it's kind of a delicate balance because, of course, like you are actually trying to pay attention to something. It's not just like letting it loose and just sitting there and thinking the whole time. But it's kind of being very gentle, very patient in developing this presence and developing this collectiveness. So really, I think patience is really the key. Patience, kindness, all really good helps in developing uh, a sense of uh, collectiveness. One of the definitions I like also about concentration is uh, sometimes concentration, I think, has a connotation of like bearing down too much. And uh, you can think about it more like um, concentrate, like orange juice concentrate. Mm-hmm. So that's actually like the essence of orange juice, right? like all the extraneous stuff taken out, so the essence of that. So that's actually what we're trying to do is get sort of like the essence of, of being, you know, bring it back to that. So in doing that, actually, you don't need to strive. It's actually like a sort of relaxing into it. And as I practice also, I've noticed that it's actually less a doing than a not doing. So what that means is that it actually is that the distracted, the thoughts that come up and then become distractions are actually the doing, like the movement of mind towards the different sound, thoughts, things like that. So there's an aspect of actually like renunciation. So actually letting go of chasing that sound, that thought actually allows the mind, the heart, to sink in more into the state of collectiveness. Uh, so it's just a different perspective on it, which may or may not make sense, but um, sometimes it's helpful to consider it like that, because it's not so much a doing than a non-doing in that way, or like not letting yourself go in that way. The, the state of concentration can be developed in many different ways. So here we're doing it with the breath. You're coming back to the object, coming back to the object of the breath. Also, we did it at the end of this practice with um, metta, loving kindness meditation. So in that, we're connecting with this sense of well-wishing, these intentions. Uh, and then maybe you're distracted, come back again, come back again. That too is a good place to develop because it's a wholesome object of this sense of loving kindness of metta. So that's a very good object to develop uh, concentration too. The concentration can be developed on the path to a very uh, uh, unusual degrees. Um, and actually most of the kind of unusual and kind of funky things that you hear about from meditation are the result of concentration, of developing a collectiveness of mind. So that includes like developing psychic powers or developing the ability to uh, levitate. Or, uh, there are many different descriptions about um, you being able to walk through walls or fly or this or that. Now, uh, in the Buddhist path, it's not like uh, encouraged that we aim for those things. Mm-hmm. In fact, um, the Buddha is pretty focused with his uh, followers, like, I'm teaching you about suffering and the end of suffering. I'm teaching you about happiness. I'm teaching you about liberation. And there's one story where he's crossing a river with a bunch of his uh, monks and nuns, and there's this other guy from another um, spiritual sect who's, like, flying over the river. <laughs> and, uh, and they're all like, how come you don't teach us that? So cool. <laughs> and he says, you know how much that's worth? Yeah. It's worth the five rupees that I took this, uh, this boat across. That's what that's worth. <laughs> Keep focused. Keep your eyes long. Because <laughs> you, know? you can still be flying across the river and be like an arrogant suffering fool. Right? <laughs> don't, be, don't be fooled by that. And yet, there is actually a remarkable amount of um, power that, can, that we have available to us from a collected mind. And it doesn't even have to be any kind of unusual ways. Like even just the ability to be with someone during the conversation. The ability to 
remember what you were looking for when you went into that room. <laughs> Where did you get keys? Something like that. Um, the ability to stay with uh, with some tasks it's like fairly steadily. The ability to be present with your own heart, to know what what the intention is. To be able to listen, regardless of the extraneous sounds. <laughs> right. It's like actually being able to be focused like that, and then knowing when to let go. So concentration can also be very pinpoint. So it can be like a laser. And you can focus on very detailed things. You can focus on very detailed body sensations. You can learn to focus on you know, thought. You can notice, notice thought as it's about to arise. But also, actually, there can be a more broad kind of concentration. So you can actually be present and have a sort of collectedness um, with a kind of wide angle, too. So concentration can be both ways. But then it, with the wide angle, it still is a collectedness with the wide angle. That makes sense. So it can be like, you know, telephoto, like really microscope down like that, and it can be like But either way, there's this steadiness of mind, this steadiness of mind and heart, this quality that's really very helpful for us. Now, it's very mentioned that in the teachings also there's a description of particular um, states of depth of concentration, uh, which in the Buddhist tradition are called jhanas. And uh, what's kind of fascinating is that these are described yeah, 2,600 years ago, and yet the human mind is still structured in that way that humans today can actually learn to develop these states and uh, experience them. So it describes uh, different depths of concentration that you can attain, and in attaining this, so the mind becomes more and more refined, the collectiveness becomes uh, more and more strong. And with each uh, subsequent state, it's sort of like it becomes more refined than the previous state. So in some ways, I've for this is like, um, you know, if you go to the eye doctor and there's an eye chart, and there's a giant E on the top, right? And then there's like a row of letters that are uh, like a little bit smaller, but still pretty big, and then, you know, on and on until it becomes really tiny. So this, uh, these jhanas are like developing concentration where the mind is actually uh, attending to more and more refined states, and so then the concentration has to become more and more refined in order to attend to that, if that makes sense. Kind of like how your eyes have to you know, focus more and more to see the smaller rules. Or maybe you kind of have to glasses and it's hard to. And in each of these states, there's actually a lot of, uh, there actually is a lot of pleasure. There's a lot of pleasure from that, uh, both physical pleasure and the earlier ones, but then actually it goes beyond that. It goes beyond that into more, more and more refined actually uh, experiences of bliss, of peace. Um, so, very worthwhile developing those for the purposes then of actually applying that level of depth of concentration to mindfulness, to actually being present, to seeing the arising and passing away of how things actually are in the world. So also once you develop a, a deeper sense of concentration, you can kind of use that uh, in your practice or at different times to kind of um, go out to the depth of uh, what there is to be seen. So it's kind of like in um, the beach, like an ocean beach, there's rip tides, and there are signs, right, like different beaches around, like don't go into the rip tide, it'll pull you out, that's bad, you'll drown, etc. Right. Uh, but if the, some surfers actually use the rip tide kind of like a highway to get out to where you want to be, right? So if you're a good swimmer and you know how to work with that, then you're like, oh, cool, rip tide. So they get in that and then shoot out there and then you know how to like, get out to the depths where they want. So similarly, you can learn how to use your mind like this. You can actually learn how to use these 
done on your states of concentration to actually uh, go into the depths of your mind, uh, kind of like the surface do. But it takes some practice, it takes some skill. Um, it takes interest, too. Like you have to be uh, interested in doing that. For most regular people, it is um, harder to do that in your regular life practice, I have to say. Um, like a community rather than conditions of being um, more collective for a longer period of time, like as we on retreat and things like that. Uh, so that's an encouragement for those who are inclined in that direction and kind of curious, or uh, it is possible for humans in the 21st century to develop these states, and uh, you can move in that direction and give it a try. <coughs> but with concentration, there's always a balance between trying too hard and, and being relaxed. So, it's always good to keep that in mind when you're working with your mind in this way. Like, trying too hard is not a precondition for concentration. Like, striving is not. Um, but along the way, the path is really actually sort of learning, like, oh, what's the way and what's not the way. So another metaphor that the book actually is, is about uh, tuning the string of, a, like, say, a guitar. I think he said a lute, so probably more of you know guitar than lute, right? Uh, so like, you don't want to be too tight, or else the string will break. So you don't want to be too loose where there's not going to be sound coming from it, right? It's too loose. So, you know, it's learning how to get it this right. And as you learn to tune it, usually in the beginning it's too tight, then it's too loose, then it's too tight, then it's too loose. So that's all okay. That's sort of part of the process of uh, learning and developing. So in your practice, if you actually want to develop um, greater depth of concentration, um, you can do some of the things that we were doing in the meditation today. So actually putting more attention towards just noticing when you're distracted and just coming back again, just coming back again, just coming back again to the breath. So if you do that uh, continuously, your concentration will deepen. So from wherever it is that it is now, like you can learn and develop and grow. Right? So all of us start at different places based on whatever else is happening in our life and you know whatever our natural proclivities are, but everyone can improve their concentration if they want to in this way. Also it's good to notice so other dimensions of your life. So what other dimensions of your life are leading towards this kind of focus and stillness? And what are leading towards distractedness? So basically, like, when am I practicing distractedness in my life versus when am I practicing collectedness? So for example, I noticed today I got in my car to drive here and the radio was already on really loud. So I started the car and the radio was already on loud, right? And immediately I noticed, like, oh, this is a distractedness from this. Right, so turn it off. Um, so you just notice, like, oh, what are the things that are uh, aiming the mind and the heart towards collection and distraction? Uh, even the hallowed activity of multitasking that we have in our society, just get to pay attention. Like, how much does multitasking actually help you do multiple things faster, more efficiently, better? Or does it actually sort of multiply the amount of time and cultivate this distractedness? So it's just to check it out in your own mind and in your own life about this. Um, even our relationship to technology. Like, uh, you know, if you work in the sort of office kind of thing, um, I feel like we're still trying to learn how to get used to email or, you know, texting. We're still working in society with how to deal with uh, technology. So many people have their email open all the time and then, you know, they're doing some work and then an email comes in and it makes a little sound like ding. Oh, what's that? 
scared of like throwing a piece of paper at your head. <laughs> and then you would stop what you were doing, go look at the piece of paper, you know, read it, do what it says, right? and then go back to work, and then different piece of paper. And then you're like, oh, what's up? <laughs> like, it's basically what we're doing. <laughs> so, you know, notice, like, what happens does that, does that cultivate, like, you know, collectiveness versus distractedness. And the mind is probably not so well-disciplined on its own. I know if you have an unusual mind, um, if your mind is distracted, like, that's kind of par for the course for most people. So I run into people down and they ask me what I do and stuff, and, so, you know, I tell them I'm a meditation teacher, and um, it's, it's kind of surprising how often people will say, like, oh, I tried that once, and I'm not good at it. Yeah. It didn't really work for me. And I'm like, what, what did you expect? Like, you know, kind of like you, you, uh, you know, took a basketball and threw it in a basketball sequence and it didn't go in. And you're like, oh, I'm not going to basketball. <laughs> <laughs> it's not really for me. You know. Like, it's like that added sense that I feel like, oh, it's a practice. Like, you know, like no, almost no one is good at it when they start, so to speak, good at it, right? And even though what is good at it is like, a question to uh, but so the frustration, like, uh, you know, even the stuff that I'm describing, if you're like, wow, that seems really hard, don't worry about it. Like, wherever you start, there you are. And uh, all of us can bring this collectiveness to whatever extent to our uh, own life. And it brings benefits for you in your life. It brings benefits for you in your practice. It brings benefits for you in your conversations with people when you're actually able to pay attention much more to them. Um, it brings benefits for your work when you're able to focus much better, you know, your school when you're able to study in a more uh, focused way. So all around concentration is a good thing. So that's what I say that the level of concentration that one has can deepen uh, through one's life too. So uh, I can remember some ways that I was able to notice things and the kind of concentration I had when I went on the first retreat that I went on, which was like um, 20 something years ago. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that level of concentration now I have in my daily life, like I can notice that that's there. I could be wrong, but that's what it seems like. Right? So I think it's just sort of slowly, like each time that you practice, each time you go on retreat, or each time even every day that you sit even for like 10 or 15 minutes, <coughs> and you practice this collectiveness. It kind of deepens. So I already just said it's kind of like the snowpack. This may not work here. This is a New England metaphor. You're saying like, uh, you know, different things of like snowpack, I guess, and then it's snowing on top of that, and it's deeper and deeper. You know, so it kind of builds on itself. Which is <laughs> I could use this metaphor in 70 degree weather. <laughs> but this is like it builds on itself, and we don't always know where we are too. You know, so. You might have a sense like, oh, I can't concentrate at all. Like my mind wandered 50 times during that meditation. Terrible. Why am I been doing this? Uh, oftentimes, that's that's common in, in practice too. Is that you start to notice more, and part of what you notice more is that like you're actually really distracted. You were the same amount of distracted before, but you weren't as present to notice you. <laughs> so it seems like bad news, but actually it's kind of good news that you're not noticing how distracted you are. So just encouragement to like stick with it because all of us can develop that collectiveness and it benefits can benefit you in so many different ways. So I'll pause there and see if there's any questions or uh, comments people have either about what we did in the meditation or anything I said today about this element of the past.
do you yourself still use those tricks, or do you stop using them after a little while and become natural? Those kind of tricks. Sometimes I'll use them because they're fun, you know. <laughs> so. Uh, yeah, like I was using them as I was telling you them now, you know, in the meditation we did. Uh, yeah. And, and countries also can vary at different times. Like if I, I feel like if I just come off the tree, there's more collected time and I'm more collected and then sometimes less. So, yeah. So they're all good. And you can try them and see, you know, one of them may work for a little while and then it's just like, you know, just uh, zing for you or something. Or, or you might try one of them, like for, for example, the counting thing I was saying. You know, you can do like counting your breaths up to five, and then up to four, and up to three, up to two, and, you know. But then for some people, that just makes them, um, who are super achievers or something, it makes them like leaning in so much, it's like uh, really difficult to engage with that kind of feeling in some balanced way. So if that's you, then don't do it. <laughs> then just drop it. Right? Then, uh, you know, uh, there's other ways to like, um, you know, things to enjoy the breath, it's just like actually just to fall in love with the, what you're attention to. So there's a connection between concentration and focus and actually love or attention. Like if you actually really love something, then it's easy to attend to it. Like you just want to be with that. Uh, now also there's, there can be a quality of like falling away into obsession, right? So pay attention to what, what that's really mm-hmm. to. Um, but that sense of, of love and devotion, you know, I think there's a sort of loyalty to your breath. So loyalty is just like don't depend on any of those other distracting, fluzy thoughts or you know, <laughs> sounds or things. Just stay loyal to your breath. So it can kind of play with it in, in ways that help support you in developing that too. I've noticed often uh, that I start out with the narrow focus to, to try to be stable with just the breath because my mind is so scattered and then when I feel like I've got a little bit of that in addition to sometimes just going off in a dream state but when I get a little focus then I do the more open mm-hmm. and I let the, the breath um, I start breathing with everything and uh-huh. but then I'll get really spaced out sometimes that way and mm-hmm. I have to get refocused so it kind of goes in a cycle yeah sometimes I have to take the effort to stay more laser and other times I can relax into that open wide concentration. Right, right. So but I notice it's cyclic at times. Yeah. Okay, should one just stick with one or the other? Yeah, no, I think that that's a common experience. So he's describing that sometimes you try to stay with that kind of focus of just being with the breath in more like a precise way. And then sometimes it feels like um, being more open, like mm-hmm. trying to be more open and experience like breathing and being present mm-hmm. everything in that way. Um, and then it might get a little spacey and feels like a struggle and then come back again to that steadiness. And it's actually good because then you're developing that sense of like, okay, when is the string too loose, when is it too tight, you know, basically in that. Mm-hmm. Um, then the instructions that I was giving today was basically just focused on the coming back. So it was kind of like the basics of uh, different ways to focus your own mind. So that's kind of the next level of it was to go to the, uh, uh, you can go to like opening up then. And with Vipassana, I think Vipassana is more than just this concentration uh, practice. So Vipassana is sort of learning to attend to actually the mind states, the body sensations, like everything. And to be present with that and to know all of that. Uh, 
But then if you notice that you're kind of getting more spacey again, you know, if it's if you're sort of losing focus, then to notice that and come back again. So that seems like uh, like helpful, skillful practice. So thinking of that, so that you want a more structured practice than guidance, there is a five-week introductory meditation class coming up here at MMI, um, which is going to be five Thursday evenings starting the 12th, which is this coming Thursday. Uh, from 7 to 9 here, and then there's a day long on Saturday, the 4th of February. So, um, it can be helpful to go through these uh, your practices in a uh, kind of gradual way, and have a chance to ask questions, and also be in a smaller group than, you know, a big group like this. So I encourage anyone who's um, interested to take that class. And Paul is here teaching it, and uh, Rebecca Katz is also Alright, so your, your uh, activity for the week, if you choose to do it, is uh, to notice distractedness versus collectedness in your life. To notice what kinds of things that you do uh, orient you towards collectedness versus towards distractedness. And notice how you feel when you're in either of those uh, states. Also notice if there's any activities in which you do feel like particularly more collected than others, and notice what that's like for you. And then you can actually see, you know, actually can, you can kind of try to learn from that sense of collectiveness. Like, what is that like? And see if you can actually apply that to other different things, too. Okay? Okay. So, next week we'll come with, uh, <coughs> and do mindfulness together. Talk about mindfulness. And actually, in case some of you are like, oh, I know about mindfulness. We'll try and talk about mindfulness also instead. Uh, current applications in the modern world too. And why is it helpful? And why does it seem to be catching fire? Mm-hmm. It is actually it's a very hot, to, hot topic. Now, there's, there's an article in Newsweek about how great mindfulness is. There's an article in Scientific American about how great mindfulness is. Uh, former editor of Oprah Magazine apparently quit her job to practice mindfulness more. <laughs> <laughs> So the community here and our, our uh, practice community and also the teachers are supported by donations. So uh, please be generous in your donations as generous as you can. That um, helps me to continue to teach and helps this community to continue to do all the different activities that you've heard <coughs> mentioned and all the announcements and things like that. So let's sit there and share the blessings from our practice. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.